In a world where people actually watch the stuff their friends recommend, this is I'll Look at Yours If You Look at Mine. Greetings, lookers, to another edition of I'll Look at Yours If You Look at Mine. I'll be your host, Ben Mitchell. And you can find me on Twitter and most social media at the handle RedHenMedia1. Look for that Red Hen icon. Today we'll be discussing Horse Girl 2020, which is a feature film, maybe suspense without giving too much away. It's currently streaming on Netflix. And I'll be joined today by my distinguished co-host. So let's join their conversation already in progress. Hi, gang. Hi. Hello. What's up? So we're joined oh. today by, hi, today by, uh, let's start with Jim Scott. Yep, I'm Jim Scott, and greetings, uh, gentle listeners and friends. And Kat Ramirez. I am Kat. Um, I'm, as, as I'm always real with my friends and family, I'll always keep it real with y'all too. So as always, grateful to be here. Grateful to have you. And Devin Schwartz. I am Devin Schwartz. The game is on. It is indeed. And my good friend, James Pepe. Hey, everyone. It's me again. And <laughs> I think I think this week we really saw a horse girl become a horse woman. <laughs> <laughs> we'll figure that out along the way. Uh, um, we'll we'll get to the bottom of that and much more today. Um uh, let's see, whose turn is it this week to go over the dossier? I believe it's Jim Scott. Yes. Oh, there we go. This was just handed to Jim Scott. Sure. Sure. So Horse Girl is a 2020 film, as stated before. It received the uh, hard R rating. And the brief synopsis is Sarah, a socially isolated woman with a fondness for arts and crafts, horses, and supernatural crime, shows find her increasingly lucid dreams trickling into her waking life. Uh, very short, very sweet and to the point. As far as studio awards, it was a winner of the uh, Reframe stamp, um, which in 2021, which was the top 100 most popular narrative and animated features. And then it received nominee for Outstanding Feature Film from the Women's Image Network Awards in 2020. Um, an interesting note is the reframe stamps are awards giving to uh, uh, shows and media that show progress towards female driven content in the media industry. And they really uh, put place an emphasis on gender equality and a greater representation of women in films. So I found that interesting. That is definitely sure. notable. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 
and awesome too. Absolutely. Um, as far as the first build actors, there were a ton of them. So without kind of clogging our show with uh, so many different notables and a actors and actresses, I will just name pretty much the top three that get sure. uh, screen time. So uh, Allison Brie plays the main protagonist of the story, Sarah. And uh, she is joined by Molly Shannon, who plays Joan. Joan is the uh, co-worker, perhaps even manager slash owner of a craft store where the main protagonist works at. And then the last to complete that list is Matthew Gray uh, Goobler, who plays Darren, um, who is Sarah's love interest. Um, getting a little bit into Alison Brie and her filmography, she uh, was in the series shows Glow, uh, Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling, and also Community. And she was also in the movie Sleeping with Other People and the movie Post uh, with Tom Hanks. So that was pretty cool. She was also in Mad Men. For, uh, uh, she was Pete's wife in Mad Men, if you guys remember that, if that character. I think they got divorced at some point. Also, Bojack Horseman. She's yes. uh, the voice of uh, yep. uh, the novelist. I, I'm blanking on her name. Uh, uh, Diana uh, Nguyen. Diana Nguyen. Anna. Yeah. And she recently said she regretted taking that role because oh, wow. it should have gone to uh, someone of Asian heritage. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Which is a good sign, too, for Hollywood that they're starting to respect that even in voice acting, uh, they should respect the race of the character and not uh, whitewash. Sure. Which I get that, you know, like traditionally it's like, oh, well, I'm a voice actor, so I can be anything. But, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's an issue for those actors out there who deserve roles, too, who uh, usually they will sometimes go to uh, Caucasian or white people when they probably should go to someone who's actually the race of the character. So that's, that's been nice to see. Well, Hank nice Azaria has been recently been, well, somewhat recently been taking a lot of heat for that, right? Yeah. Yeah, he dropped out of The Simpsons, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. That depiction was also very stereotypical. In, yeah, in the worst yeah, possible that, that, uh, way. Did, didn't age super well. No, no. Born of the eighties and and whatnot. Uh, anyway, not to not to digress too far on that, but I thought that was uh, pretty cool of her to say. And also, I'd like to say that for some reason with her, with Allison Brie, I didn't. I don't always put together that it's her. She seems to look drastically different to me in different roles. Like she's a good, I guess, character actor in that way. She disappears into the role, and I've. I, when I was looking her up this week, I was like, oh, that was her about three different times. Did anyone else have that experience or do you all, are you all familiar yeah. with it? I mean, I haven't seen her in a ton, honestly. I've mostly seen her in Community and then obviously Bojack Horseman. And actually the first time I list, or listened to Bojack Horseman, first time I watched Bojack Horseman, I did not, I could not detect that that was her voice at all. Um, and it was only after I learned that, that then I was like, oh yeah, it totally sounds like her. I can't believe I didn't realize. Um, but yeah, speaking of, of her kind of blending in, uh, the first scene in this film uh was very odd she she had some strange makeup i don't know i i wrote in my notes that she looked like a corpse 
because like she she had like she was really pale and uh, I don't know, like it didn't look like her. Like, honestly, I, I wasn't sure that was her for like a good minute um, because the makeup was very odd in that scene. I wish I could recall better, but I'll take your word for it. Yeah, what was the yeah. first scene? I The first thing I remember was that awesome, you th think you're looking at the sky and they kind of trick you and then you're looking at the cloth being cut. I thought that was pretty clever. Oh, yeah, yeah. But not the, the first scene with her in it where she's in the shop with uh, 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 Molly Shannon and they're just talking. Um, yeah, it, there wasn't anything significant about the way she looked. Like it wasn't part, I don't think it was part of the film. It just like, the makeup seemed off and like it almost literally almost looked like she had like like you could see her veins like she looked like like it's like she looked like a corpse i don't know i i also was playing resident evil immediately before watching the movie so I, <laughs> maybe it just like bled in but i don't know <laughs> i'll have to take another look just to see what you're talking about but uh, i mean it was probably done on purpose or whatever i, I imagine this Could've also been. seemed like a pretty well uh, where the uh director was uh, very paid attention to the missing scene Pretty closely so um uh and also notable in the first scene was man they did such good like realistic dialogue in this movie um just yeah. how they were they were like relating to each other and chit chatting man that came across as genuine you guys think so mm -hmm. really yeah, took definitely. note of that like right off the bat like oh man oh yeah and a question uh with the nosebleed do we lean back or do we lean forward where you guys stand I've, on that, Jim? I have always leaned back. I actually have, uh, I've had chronic nosebleeds just recently. I had a, a couple week period where I was literally getting daily nosebleeds for like a, like a week and a half. And I always lean back and it always, it always fixes it. And I've never gotten nauseous. Her doctor said you might get nauseous and throw up. I've never been nauseous from having like a little bit of blood go down the back of my throat. I've always been a lean forward guy supposed to lean forward i guess technically because they don't want you they don't want to have that blood going down your throat and stuff and i guess for the nausea partially but it's better to lean forward but i've always been taught to lean back so that's what i've always done too. i've heard both so it was interesting to me that this controversy and i'm doing scare quotes for those listening <laughs> it came up in the film and i thought it was just one of those interesting interesting things that i wonder how it got into the script but it seems so naturalistic jim what do you do forward or back uh, I have uh, nosebleeds very infrequently. I think I've done both during my lifetime, but I've also been told not to lean back for the same reasons, the nausea and, and such. I almost feel like whatever works, but what do you think, Pepe? You get the last word. This is important uh, stuff, guys. Well, I've I've survived at least a few nosebleeds. Um, Congratulations. <laughs> Uh, no, my understanding is that you lean forward. I mean, the, I feel like your initial sort of, uh, impulse is to lean backwards because you don't want it to drip. Oh, that you don't makes want sense. To drip on yeah. yourself. Instinctively, it might be like, yeah, you're like shying away from having it yeah. come out. Yeah. But okay. yeah, I think you're supposed to lean forward for the reason that that guy said you don't want it like draining into your stomach. Yeah, that always kind of bothered me. I was told to lean forward when I was very little, and it just always stuck with me. And so I had heard both, and then I resisted leaning back. But uh, I guess whatever works for you. But uh, yeah, the, the forwards have it as far as the voting, I think. Um, and then the doctor, the fake doctor. Who, what's that actor's name, by the way? He's, he's, in a, a, he's, a, he's a name, or at least he's a guy that's in a ton of stuff. Does anyone... No, 
I recognize him too, but I don't know what his name He's is. He's one of those guys you recognize, and maybe Devin can find it for us. Uh, the, he was the ear, nose, and throat guy. But uh, why don't we do Who Done It before we get too deep into this conversation? Who Done It? This is Who Done It, the portion of the show where we find out who submitted this uh, movie for us to review and discuss today. So uh, we'll all take our votes, who we think submitted, and then we'll find out who's right and who is wrong. Jim Scott, who done it? Ooh, this is a good one. And I'm a little torn. And I'm torn between, and, and it's just this Im- overall impression, right? I can't really put a finger on it strictly. It's just more of a feeling. But the toss-up is between uh, Devin and Cat. But I am going to say that I believe it is you, Cat, that submitted this film. Guess we'll see. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm going to go with Devin on this one. I, I don't know why. I feel like I just have a sense that it's weird enough that he'd want us to see it and would know that it would make for a good discussion. So I'll lock in Devin, although I guess it could be Cat, and I'm not going to vote for me, so <laughs> get the guilt away from me and put it on That'd be on a Devin. bold move. That would be, right? That would be a bold move, yeah. <laughs> bold move, Cotton. And Cat, who do you think uh, submitted this one? I'm also going to go with Devin, because I know he loves Allison Brie and, um, and BoJack Horseman and stuff, so... I feel like this is the kind of movie he would recommend just on the pure basis of how great her acting was in this movie. And it's weird, wild stuff. Okay, Devin, who did it? Or who done uh, well, it, I should say. I do, I do, I do love Allison Brie. That is a true fact. Um, but uh, I went back and forth a little bit. I kind of feel like this could be a sleeper Ben submission, but I'm, I think I'm going to lock in Cat. This feels very much like a, a Cat film. All right. Also, that actor, uh, real quick, sorry, James, uh, th- that actor was David Pamer. Um, he's known for State in Maine, Get Shorty, The American President, In Good Company. I haven't seen any of those movies, but. <laughs> he's always quirky, quirky good time. Yeah, with him. he's very prolific. He's done a hundred, he has 172 credits, which is quite a few. <laughs> he's a face you know. I, yeah. I did not recognize the name, but I know his face from tons of stuff. So, uh, James Pepe, you get the last word. Who done it? Yeah, you know, I think it was Devin because um, the other day he was sort of like he was he was pretty, pretty heavily uh, implying that it was his movie to me the other day, actually. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm I'm going to take that bait. Um, I know he likes uh, I know he likes the, the actress in this movie. Um, and Alice all and Brie, of her yeah. sort of. Yeah, Alison Brie. And I know he likes all of the sort of adjacent stuff that she's in so i'm gonna guess i'm gonna guess Devin. okay and will the uh perpetrator please stand up and be counted it was me you guys oh cat well done yeah you are the winner (laughs) so for me it was a no but uh who who did guess cat Devin, you guessed cat and i think jim you guessed cat so you get a that is correct yes that is correct. I think, I think Devin's winning. I am. I Are you, do you, can you look, Devin? A, You're tallying. I have a right? hand to lead. Yeah. Three so Jim, three? Has, Jim has uh, 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 correctly guessed two, Pepe one, Ben and Cat one, and then me three. All of them so far. 
So you're in the lead to get the Dundee, wow. which I have ordered and is on the way. So at the end of the series, uh, the winner will get the Dundee to hang on to. Uh, and we'll just, you can just hang on to it awesome. and collect that. And we'll get a new one each series. It sounds like I am out of the running now, right? I can't, this I can't season, uh, Yeah, well, no, you're tied for everyone else. Uh, we could have a three-way tie. If I guess the last two wrong, uh, one of which will be my movie, so I won't be able to guess. So if I don't guess the next one right, and you do guess the next two right, you could still tie me for three. So oh, we, could, okay. we, well, could have, we could potentially have a two-way tie, well, or three-way tie. I, you'd be pretty hard-pressed to guess the last one wrong, though, I think. I I'm just saying, as long as I still have skin in the game, <laughs> as long as I have reason to get out of bed in the morning. Okay, there you go. <laughs> There's always room for hope. Okay, Pepe, don't lose hope. Yeah, right. It springs eternal. You don't. You're right. What? What's the horse's name? Artac. <laughs> Do uh, it for Artac. Oh, <laughs> oh no! I mean, the, the never-ending story. I'm making a never-ending story reference. Sorry, guys. A little bit out of left Artex? field. Yeah. There's so many well horses. Well done on remember the horse name from the movie. Yeah. Yeah, I thought. I thought you were referring to Willow. Yeah, you know, <laughs> the horse in this movie. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. So uh great. Um so now we're to our open discussion. Uh well done, Kat. You you threw me off on that one. Um and do you Kat, then let's start this off. Um the Duplus brothers. I love the Duplus brothers. Are you aware of them? Did they play any role in you choosing this film? No, she's nodding her head or she's shaking her head no. Oh. Oh, not at all. Does anyone know who the uh, Duplass brothers are? Am I the only one who knows this because I'm a film guy? Are those the guys that did The Endless? Um, I'll just jump in. They did like The Puffy Chair and uh, th that one, uh, that was the one that put them on the, on the, it was the first Netflix movie ever produced that they ever bought for distribution was The Duplass Brothers. Um, you probably haven't seen that one. If you've seen one or two of their, or of their things, one would probably be uh, Safety Not Guaranteed, which was based off of that time travel meme that came out on like Reddit and such a long time ago where someone put an ad like, I'm serious, this is a time travel thing. I'm looking for someone to go back in time. Safety Not Guaranteed. So they wrote a movie about that, which I loved. Some other people uh, didn't, but um, it seemed to be like either you really loved it or really didn't. Uh, the one I love was a 2014 project. They do a lot of like Twilight Zone e kind of stuff. The one I love was about going couples going to couple therapy, and then one of the people gets replaced by like a lookalike that isn't really their love interest, and the other person gets trapped there. Uh, very much Twilight Zone. And then uh, Mark Duplass was in the Mindy Project. If anyone saw that, so they've been a big inspiration. Uh, Mark Duplass. I'll just say one more thing about him. Uh, he did a very well-known, uh, notable speech on uh, at a film festival called uh, "The Cavalry." Oh, don't wait for the cavalry. The cavalry is not coming, and it's pretty much uh, encouraging to indie filmmakers and other artists to kind of light a fire under their butts to like just start producing stuff because no one's gonna come and hold your hand or throw money at you. You just got to start in and make just like they did, make movies and make your art and do your craft. So here we are doing that very thing. So good for us. Um, yeah, so let's get under our, uh, on, on way under our discussion. Um, so this was more of a... It was shot kind of like in the realism uh, uh, 
category. It wasn't really a formalism, but I mean, a lot of like weird kind of sci-fi dreamy stuff did happen. Um, it was definitely a narrative uh, feature length film. Uh, any sequences or set pieces uh, stand out to you guys that you want to discuss? Oh man. Uh, I mean like every single one of her dream sequences is total, I guess total standout, especially the final one that kind of basically concludes the film. Um, yeah. It, it crazy good set design and uh, yeah, a lot of that stuff was trippy as hell. It all looked, I mean, as far as I can tell, it was all practical and uh, it, it all looked really good. If, if there was any CG in there, it was, it was very well done. Yeah. They're so good at making movies on a budget that you don't, like the production value may not be like a Marvel movie where it looks like a hundred million bucks, but they also don't need to. They do a good balance of character-driven stuff, and they pepper in some cool effects that like stand up in the world that they take place in. But before I get too ahead of myself, actually, I'm more interested in Cat. How did you come across this movie? Why did you choose it? What did you like about it, or what did you think made it a good uh, submission? Yeah, so I watched this movie about a year ago. It's probably close to when it came out on Netflix. Um, I watched it with a bunch of my roommates. And I had a roommate who really liked horror thrillers and basically sci-fi and psychological thrillers. So this was really up her alley in that sense, um, or at least within the genre. Um, but after watching it, I ever since I've seen it, I was like, I need to talk about this film with people who really enjoy films i really need to dissect this because i would just randomly think about the film weeks later just certain scenes of the film i'll be like what okay and just like going into it so it wasn't and i know i don't know if we got into the reviews of it uh yet but it didn't get super great reviews um which is interesting in itself but um I think the fact that this was just a movie that seemed different from any other movies I've seen, it was also very female driven as far as, you know, the cast. Um, and the fact that Alison Brie had actually wrote this script based off her own mental, uh, her own uh, experience with uh, mental illness and, and such. So I thought it spoke a lot on a lot on that, as well as the fact that typically when we talk about mental health or when we see it in the media, it's very male driven and it's very covered by how mental health impacts men. And it's not very common to see mental health uh, being discussed within women and how that impacts women specifically. So there's a lot of, obviously the cinematography was great. Um, it was realistic and, but also artsy. There was, I mean, and then the acting was phenomenal too. Yeah. And yet I didn't feel like they crossed that line where I felt like they were using it as a political way to push a political issue or use it as a cudgel. I felt like it was very entertaining no. and they walked that line very well. And I could see where this would stick in your craw and be something that you think about later was there any specific image or moment that really stuck with you that made you that, that keeps popping up in your head or is it just random different scenes in general that came back? I mean, it's definitely the ending, like like what we were just talking about, the sequence of just how they seamlessly kind of converge what she was experiencing and seeing into reality and that in itself, like I feel like you can really break down everything that they had 
within just the very end of the movie. So that was kind of usually what I kept thinking back about and like, you know, why they ended the way that they ended for the movie. Did it go the way you expected or did they surprise you with how Um, they ended it? it? I mean, I think not super early on, but you obviously you can tell with her that there's something off about her and you're not quite sure what it is. Um, so there's kind of an eerie feeling since the very beginning. Um, but, uh, I, I don't think I, no, I don't think it's like from seeing it from the beginning, I didn't have any idea how it was going to end. I don't know if I necessarily like the way that they ended it. And, um, just in the sense, and we can kind of go more into this later on, but in the sense of if you're, if, if it's going to be a movie that's kind of, it's going to try to portray, um, mental health in any sort of way that I feel like you do have to be somewhat cautious or sensitive to the way you decide to end it because of what that may indicate. And as we know, like the ending of it just kind of, it leaves with the horse and with her, um, descending up to the sky, possibly being abducted by aliens. And I think that can be kind of problematic in the sense of what does that leave viewers who deal with actual like schizophrenia and stuff like that, or deal with things that they see, what, you know, what is the message that it's sending to them? If the ending is, Oh, she got abducted by aliens. So I have an issue with the way it ended. I also noted that, but I'm also kind of on the fence because was she being an unreliable uh, narrator? But did you read it more that it was like she had totally lost it and was like, uh, and was uh, succumbing to her mental illness? Or did you read it that everyone else was wrong and that she was right? Um, that's what I questioned. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm so not sure. And you can see where it could be read either way, almost equally. Anybody else? Has anyone else seen this before? I had knew nothing about this movie. Yeah, I had not heard of it before. Um, I, I have a lot to say about this topic. I don't want to go too off on a tangent, but I actually at the end um, in my little notepad, I wrote like a whole sort of gut reaction to it as soon as it ended. And I personally think that the depiction of mental illness in this uh, film was like really bad, <laughs> was like woefully damaging. Um, the, uh, you know, the um, rapid onset of it, the lack of like episodes and like like I've I, I know people who have uh, experienced paranoid schizophrenia, which I believe is what they were trying to depict in this. Um, I actually was in a somewhat similar experience to her love interest in this film. I had a person who was close to me who uh, kind of had a descent like this, but not to get too personal. No, no, lay it on us. I mean, not don't get too personal, but lay on. I'm very (laughs) curious about this is the parallel is pretty close here. So yeah, let's hear it. the, The way, the way she seemed to like just wake up one day and be fully in a schizophrenic episode that never ended. She had no moments of clarity, seemingly, you know, seemingly no moments of clarity, just like she was fully in this, this, uh, uh, illusion um the fact that they leaned on the sort of tin foily alien abduction thing like it's not impossible that someone with paranoid schizophrenia could believe in alien abductions but that is such a stereotype of paranoid schizophrenia that i think them using it kind of weakens the message um i think they also lean too heavily on the unreliable narrator kind of trope 
Whereas in the lighthouse, you know, it started very straightforward, very real. And slowly the surreal elements kind of leaked in and you sort of thought like, okay, he's losing it. Now is when he's becoming unreliable. We don't know what to believe anymore. This sort of like the whole thing. It's like, well, you know, maybe none of this happened. You know, maybe it's all her telling the story wrong. And like the last half, you know, as soon as she goes to the uh, mental institution, the hospital, it's like from there on out, you can't really believe anything. It's like all of it is fake now. And it's like, what's the point anymore? If we're just seeing a a 45 minute long hallucination, what does it even mean? And ex- extremely um, abstract. Yeah, exactly. Gets now, to the point really, where it's like, at, yeah, it's almost like an experimental I, film at that point and not a narrative. Exactly. Yeah. And I think uh, go ahead. No, fine. Oh, I was just going to quickly say that's probably I think that's a big issue I have with the film is that some people are going to watch this film and be like, it's about mental health. It's about some a woman with schizophrenia and another and other people. And I think the people I was with when I saw the film, they took away from it as it's just a woman who went crazy, who saw these paranormal things and they, she thought she was being abducted by aliens and there's no v- validity to it anymore. And it's not about mental health anymore. And I think that's what's really problematic about this film is that if you, they were trying to actually accurate about covering mental health, they did a horrible job in that in that sense because so many viewers can walk away from this film thinking it was just about this woman who thought she was being abducted by aliens. And right. That's not obviously what it was. Right. It, well, yeah. uh, I, okay. So I, I do have... So the Dublis brothers, okay, this movie I wrote down in my notes that it's a spiritual sequel to Safety Not Guaranteed, which was about a guy who these journalists are investigating uh, because he posted this kind of ad that would make people think he was mentally ill, right? I'm serious. I'm a time traveler and stuff. And it's about through the process of it. Um, oh, who's, uh, who's the uh, actor uh, from... Devin, you were just watching it. Um, Parks and Rec, who ends up marrying... Uh, Aubrey Plaza? I'm sorry? Her name? Aubrey Plaza? Yes, she was in it. Uh, Safety Not Guaranteed. Um, she was great in it. Uh, she ends up... Uh, and Mark Duplass plays the guy who posted the ad. He ends up being correct, and they travel... Not to spoiler alert, they travel back in time together at the end. So, in a sense, they did the same thing uh, in, the, in the form of this one, that uh, you know everyone was wrong and they were right uh against all odds or whatever so i so did your it wasn't clear to me did your friends read it as if she was mentally ill or did your friends read it as if she was right and the kind of everyone else in the world was wrong um i think they read it as there she was mentally ill but kind of to the sense of like Oh, she's just, it's just this, it's about this woman who's crazy and thinks okay. that she's being abducted by aliens versus like actually viewing maybe that someone who's schizophrenic may actually be having those kind of experiences, like any I see that. actually realistic validity to it. And that's, yeah, that's kind of the issue. Yeah. When I first saw it, I read it as, okay, everyone else is wrong and she was right. But then it was only after the, upon reflection that I was like, well, maybe she was an unreliable narrator. Um, Pepe, I think they do that intentionally. Yeah, I think so too. In in uh, in safety not guaranteed, they made it more dramatically uh, uh, grounded in that it was real than than this one was. Also, there was witnesses like people saw them do the thing, you know. Whereas this was she was alone in a field with the horse, right? 
So, Pepe, what do you what do you think? Did you read it as uh, as she was mentally ill, or were you on the fence? Well, this was this was the second time I'd seen this movie. I hadn't I hadn't remembered that I had seen it actually, but when I looked up on my letterbox, I because I, I it's it sounded familiar to me, so I looked up on my letterbox and I I had seen it before a while ago. Um, and I looked up. I think at the when I first watched it, I had given it three stars or something like that. And this time when I watched it, um, I had a pretty like pretty strong negative reaction to it. Um, and the reason was, well, there were a lot of reasons, um, but I think the sort of main reason was that the movie starts out sort of portraying itself as like a weird, surreal thriller or horror movie or something like that. And then becomes a movie about a woman who is suffering from a mentalist, from a severe mental illness, and then ends with her being abducted by aliens. Um, I don't, and it sounds like other people had this issue, I don't think that the ending was, like, ambiguous enough in the sense that, like, I, I think if you watch that movie, you just see a woman get abducted by aliens at the end. And that, yeah. to me, undercut basically everything else that the movie had done for the majority of its runtime. Um, right. I, I Yeah, and I mean, there are also other little like, like nitpicky reasons. And I'm not sure, I'm not sure how to say this right, but I feel like the movie didn't like earn the gravity of its subject matter some somehow um just because of its tone and that might have come from like the ancillary character the secondary characters um because they were mostly comic like most most of the interactions that she has with the other characters are supposed to be comic even yeah. if they're not really like ever whenever you see molly shannon you know her as a, co a comedic actress right and so even when they're not necessarily being overtly comedic, it still has that sort of undertone because it's her. Um, I mean, in the same way that like it's hard to take Jim Carrey's like dramatic acting seriously sometimes because he's so ingrained in your mind as a comedic, comedic actor. Yeah, sure. I guess that makes sense. Although I did think she um, did play a, do a good job of playing that character that she played. Um, you're saying it was more of a tonal yeah, problem, I, though. Yeah, I know. I agree. I mean, I think, yeah, I think for you. that. Yeah. Yeah, for me. Yeah. I think that there, I think that that was, I think the acting of the movie was great. And I think that, I mean, it It obviously looked good. Um, the acting was good. They were all, they all did very well. Um, and, and yeah, so I don't know. I had a lot of, there was one other thing I wanted to say, but I, I, I it escapes me right now, but yeah. So I'll I had a pretty negative, in. I had a pretty negative, uh, pretty negative reaction to this so um, i'm inspired yeah. now let's workshop this then do you does anyone have any ideas of what would have fixed this thing in the third act because wasn't was it the ending sequence that soured you on it or was it some other part earlier on that that should have been fixed i i personally i think you fix this film by either 
removing aliens or removing mental illness. Like you pick one of those and remove it and the movie is better. If it's a movie about mental illness and it's about a woman's descent into mental illness, that could be very dramatic and very compelling. If it wasn't, if they didn't have the ending sequence where it's like, like you said, not ambiguous enough and there's aliens suddenly and it it doesn't make any sense. Um, Or you remove the mental illness entirely and just make it about aliens. And then it actually would probably succeed as a pretty funny comedy because there were some funny moments in it. And like if there wasn't the incredibly wet blanket of mental illness over the entire film, it could be pretty funny. (laughs) What interested you more, the comedic aspect or the mental illness? And I'll just throw in that the mental illness to me was much more interesting. Well, at least that's what I kind of cued into myself. That's what I that's what I locked onto. Is wow, this is actually parts of it were actually very fascinating. I thought, uh, although I don't know enough uh, as much about it as you, Devin, and having with your personal experience um, and and such, um, I didn't know those things where that bothered you. Those things didn't bother me because I'm just ignorant of them. So it played fine. But um, yeah. A lot of those moments were, I thought, were pretty compelling, and I thought that her acting was uh, pretty solid on those parts where she played the emotions. Uh, they they rang true to me. Yeah, I agree. She she did a great job of acting, and honestly, oddly enough, it was well written. The dialogue, at least, was very well written. It, like again, because I've had experience with it, like word for word like there were moments where i had to pause the movie because i was like having an emotional reaction because of how familiar the things she was saying sounded to me like it really really impacted me yeah and so the writing was good it's just the more mechanical things of like the way that she was just fully like you know she went from zero to 100 and there was no moments of clarity where she kind of realized what she was saying didn't sound right you know like it was just fully you know one side or the other of the scale where where there is a scale like all mental illness yeah, she seemed genuinely like desperate and anxious and afraid, as I imagine that experience would be to to have for someone. That felt so very real to me. In fact, that was maybe one of the best parts of the movie for me. Uh, what did Jim think? We haven't heard from Jim yet. Yeah, so I was going to actually wait until this dialogue, you, you know, um, kind of placed itself. And I think that when it comes to mental uh, it, uh, suffering and mental health issues, I'll just say that. Um, I think as far as what we have to say about it in a larger community, I think some things are just not going to be said. It's a very complex topic. Um, and not to be contrary, but I do feel that the ending didn't need fixing. Um, so some of my, my, my takeaways, I feel like the beginning of the film really set a firm tone on social awkwardness and being able to see, um, you, you know, Sarah as a very socially awkward, um, young woman, um, definitely not experienced in, um, kind of carrying herself in certain ways and she related to other people um uh in in awkward ways that they just you know unfortunately right they kind of turned off to her and we see a lot of examples of how that happens with her roommate's boyfriend which i didn't really like that character but we see in his reaction to her um the girl that was riding the horse um etc etc 
And then it starts to really kind of evolve into it's more than just this social awkwardness. She's suffering mental health issues. And uh, being from the unreliable narrator, I think there's so many different ways to see this movie because there's not real definitive. Okay, that's actually what happened. But my takeaway, and before I say this, I want to say that I'm studying to be, you know, a counselor with at-risk youth. Um, I will be getting my psychology major, but that by no means makes me an expert. I probably never will be an expert when it comes to, you know, suffering and mental health. But I kind of seen it more as a disassociative fugue state where she was coming to and then coming out of. She would find herself in strange places. And again, that's just a catch-all, right? We only get these certain glimpses and then, you know, we make kind of that armchair diagnosis. Even with the schizophrenia that you had mentioned, Devin, there's so many different um, symptoms that fall under uh, schizophrenia that it just ends up being this catch-all that may or may not be useful when it comes to the treatment of the client, you know? Um, but I, I, I seen a lot of issues, not from her viewpoint because she was suffering, but from the viewpoint of health professionals and the way they were treating her all the way from the doctor to the social worker, um, and, um, this, even the staff. And unfortunately, this is not a feel-good movie. I think she really slid into the suffering that she was suffering that was encapsulated at the end of the movie, you know, where she was just fully enmeshed. Do you want to say something? Um, I just, not to play devil's advocate, but if, if the ending is to portray... Okay, so first and foremost, I don't know too much about schizophrenia or parano- or someone who's paranoid, um, what that's like to deal with that. And I also don't know, I, I was also thinking this could also have been a psychotic breakdown. And people who are in psychosis, as far as I know, have these very vivid hallucinations of things. And um, so it wouldn't be far-fetched she would she would be thinking about alien abductions or these other things that for us we obviously write off as unrealistic not of this world you know obviously not not based off of actually the truth of reality or anything like that but having people that i know who have had psychotic breakdowns and their experience with it you know as as extreme as the ending may seem to us what if that is genuinely the kind of experiences that people who deal with this, whether that's, uh, it's a psycho, a psychotic breakdown or whether it's schizophrenia or paranoia or whatever mental disorder it is, or a whole combination of them, as Jim was saying, it's for us, it's so easy for us to write it off as being kind of easy and superficial, the ending if it's if it is based off of any actual truth and reality then then it did a really good job in portraying someone's experience because just as a psycho the therapist had said it's it's not up to us to define anyone's 
experiences as being real or not, it's very real to them. And that's kind of, this could be a film that is nodding and saying, we, we see you and we, we, we hear that, like, it might not be real to us as viewers, but it may be very real to you. I don't know. So. And as also as someone who just has like next to no knowledge about this, all I could do as a viewer was accept what I was seeing and I had no reason or whatever to question it other than it felt very emotionally true to me how they were playing it. Um, whether or not it may or may not be an accurate depiction, that could be a discussion for those who understand the topic better, I think. But for me, just watching it, I, ex I did accept it just as a viewer who knows, not, who knows next to nothing about this. There's a particularly damning scene. There's, there's literally like a, a two second moment that kind of, in my opinion, at least is a nail in the coffin uh, for this film. And it's where it's actually the first scene and also one of the last scenes where Molly Shannon's character sees the horse in the parking lot. Because we see from Molly Shannon's perspective, from a non, as far as we know, non mentally ill perspective, we see her see something that can't exist as far as unless time, unless it all it's all real and time travel is real and aliens are real. It cannot exist. And because they frame that from her perspective, it uh, it, it, it makes the entire it, it blurs the line to such a point that it's like the movie's not saying anything. It, the movie is not drawing a hard enough line and saying that it's it's an unreliable narrator or it's all real. They they damage themselves just, I think, for the sake of making a cool kind of compelling little thriller scene. You know, like it's it's very like, ooh, when she sees it. But it's just it, it doesn't serve the the greater purpose of the film. Well, so my question for you, Devin, so what is her, what is Molly Shannon seeing the horse? How does that invalidate like the whole her whole experience of being abducted at the end? Because she could have very realistically still actually stolen the horse, Willow, and Molly Shannon just saw her literally just, you know, riding around with a horse. And then she went to a separate area independent of anybody else and had this experience of being abducted by an alien because Sarah was standing next to her when she saw the horse. So in the scene, Sarah is standing next to Molly Shannon and Molly Shannon sees Sarah with the horse. She sees there's two there's two Sarahs in the scene. We don't see it, but we see the horse and we know the horse is being led by Sarah. Oh, so unless Sarah started to lead the also, horse, ran inside the shop, stood beside her and then ran back out, that, you know, it implies that there's two, two. Yeah, that there's a time travel thing going on. Didn't there. we? I don't remember oh, yeah. that. I don't remember, I don't remember that. that. I don't remember yeah. that either. That Molly, that uh, Sarah was there, but I, yeah, I will, it's in the first um, shot of the film. The first, yeah, scene, right. Again, the, the first scene where she looked film. like a corpse. She sees okay, a horse walking through the parking say, lot. I do remember that. And then that, at the end of the film, we see that same horse walking through the parking okay. lot, and so we knew it's it, it loops. But back did around. they both see it in the beginning, or did just Sarah see it in the beginning? No, only Molly Shannon sees it in both scenes. Sarah in is not paying scenes. attention. Okay. Yes. Okay. Okay. All right. I think, well, I think my, I think you guys are echoing or at least sort of pointing to some of the frustration that I had with the movie too, because I found it to be a very like emotionally effective movie. Um, I felt so bad for Sarah as a character. Um, <clears throat> and I felt at the same time, so glad for her that she was like coming into contact with these people that were treating her so well. Like that guy she started dating and the doctor she has eventually, even the nurse in her like hospital room, they all treat her so well. And we're um, and I wanted I wanted her to like become OK. You know, we 
see her doing all these things. And, and even in those scenes where she's acting like normally, right, she is like this awkward person and you just kind of want to see her and like you feel for her, I guess is what I'm saying. And then, but then that sort of also produced this other feeling in me that maybe has to do with the tone of the movie too, but it, it felt like, to me, the movie felt like intrusively voyeuristic because we were seeing something going on in that woman that was like so personal and private to her and all, but it, but it's getting shown to everybody in the movie and we are also getting to see it. And I don't know, there was just something that about put you the movie off, though, that because, like, I mean, Movies intrinsically are a voyeuristic experience, but did something about yeah. that made you uncomfortable? Well, something something about the overall tone of the movie didn't match the seriousness of what we were being shown. And that made me really uncomfortable and not want to watch it. Or like, it, it made me not want to watch it, not in the sense of wanting to turn it off, but uncomfortable watching it. But it also like had the effect of me want like feeling for the character of Sarah very deeply and like wanting her to be helped and so glad when the the like goof like the like her roommates are like like her roommate's boyfriend is such a like doofus and then you're like oh well his roommate is going to be an an equally big asshole right and then it turns out he's not and he's like a totally cool guy um you're just like oh thank god that she's finding this nice person yeah i was gonna lead Um, into that i was so invested in her having a healthy relationship and finding someone that seemed to really listen to her and have fun with her and was interested in in being with her etc in a genuine way was it was everyone else was that also a an aspect that landed for everyone that was one of the stronger things for me and then also being afraid for that like you know that she didn't like you know, kill the puppy, you know, or break the egg or whatever. Even, even like the last time we see him is odd though, because I can't believe that he would have left her in that cemetery. And I don't think we ever see him like come back or how she gets out of there. I agree that that wasn't a satisfying resolution there. It was kind of uh, a, a loose thread for me as well. However, up to that point, I was deeply invested in their their back and forth and just I kind of felt like I sensed that she was going to push it over the line, especially I thought maybe she'd pull it out until she didn't actually. And then it was kind of like a slow kind of maybe it was not so slow, but I, he stayed in there a longer, much longer than I expected that the writer would have him stay in there. But then when he left, that was also unrealistic because of the circumstances that she was obviously experiencing some some real uh, problems there that I don't think most people would leave her. Especially, I don't believe that character would have done that. Yeah, the only other scene that we see him in is in the midst of her long hallucination when she visits him and they he becomes the Damien from her the show and they have sex and that whole scene didn't seem necessary. <laughs> like, I don't know. I, I'm like always kind of uncomfortable with sex scenes in movies, like across the board. And yeah, every time they come up, I'm like, is this, is this serving the plot? They almost never are. And is this just like a reason to look at a naked woman? They usually are. Art. So yeah, no, yeah, I, I don't know. It felt very weird for me also as a filmmaker anytime. And I wanted to ask you guys about this too. 
when I do see sex scenes in in movies, it almost always immediately pulls me out because I'm they then get launched in my mind into oh man, this would be super uncomfortable to shoot and like the logistics of this would be tough and like man, I hope the actors were like did they did this in a way that was as respectful as possible and and all those difficulties of of seeing it from a just like from a production perspective. But for you guys, did that does it sounds like Devin it pulls it out. You pull out of it for a different reason because of the gratuitousness of it. Yeah, he doesn't want to get her pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Also, the boyfriend. Just really quick, the boyfriend. I um, yeah, we do see him after that, but I assumed at that point that it wasn't real. Yeah, I, I don't think it is either. Yeah, I can't imagine he was gonna like take further take advantage of her in that way. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I do think, too, that like I, I think the people who generate those sex, you know, the writers and, and directors that that put those in their movies would probably tell you that it's like to show passion between two characters. Not in this case. Obviously, this was a strange case, but like in a typical movie, it's to like show passion between two characters or to show their love. But it's like there are so many ways with a lot less awkwardness to show passion and love. Like there are much smaller, subtler things that can, you know, like just like a kiss on the cheek. You know, it, it, like shot in the right way, can this be was, ten times more passionate than a weird sex scene. This was pretty graphic, right? Yeah. Well, she was. She was like, well, that scene where she is nude and walks into the craft store. Yeah. Uh huh. Deeply like, uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, and that's sort of the point. Like, I, yeah, it's nightmarish, right? Yeah, like I, you. At least I felt like I. The movie hadn't given me permission to be looking at this. <clears throat> And that was one of the reasons why I felt like it was almost exploitatively voyeuristic. You know, this is interesting because like now that we're kind of like going through it in more detail and giving it uh, almost like a postmortem and like have more time to reflect, I tend to agree with you. But at the time, I think everything was happening so fast and it was like all based in such dream logic that I don't think that I processed it. Um, and maybe that plays into why, Kat, you've been like thinking about it afterwards so much because it's one of those things like it's almost like experiencing trauma where like, you know, you can't really process it in the moment and it might take a long time afterwards to just sort of sort through what you witnessed. Yeah, no, there's a lot to this. And even whether or not you like the film or, you know, or hate it, it's there's yeah, there's just a lot to kind of dissect and break apart. And I think, you know, the fact that we all have very kind of different, very different perspectives, but we all have our own kind of takeaway from this film is part of what I enjoy about this film. But, um, yeah, it's, I, I didn't choose this film to, uh, because I'm like, this is a great film, like no question. You know, it was very much like, no, this is a good film to, to talk about because there's a lot to unpack. I know I do. I will say that I do think there was some greatness in this film. Um, I think overall, though, that there were some elements that were maybe either troubling or controversial. There, there, <clears throat> there were a lot of things that were troubling. Um, I once I came to the realization that this was somebody suffering in uh, mental health issues. It became very uncomfortable to watch through. But I also think that is exactly was the point of the movie. Um, Maybe it was. You yeah. had mentioned 
<clears throat> you had mentioned trauma, and I wanted to get to that because there was a few instances um, that were just like minor. And if you didn't like take note of them, they would slip away. But the the mention that her mother had died a year ago, and she processed that through a fictitious show called Purgatory. So I think that was a key a, a key element there. The exposition, um, the, the way they handled exposition overall, was one of the things that I would consider great. By the way, sure. And then the second element when it was just one scene and it was before really like all these dream sequences were um, just blowing up. And the scene was when she's seen, I don't know if it was a relation of hers. Obviously it was someone very close to her was thrown off the horse. And they handled that so well, as far as a filmmaking standpoint, both of those. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. But the being thrown off the horse, obviously that was some a, a, another trauma that she was dealing with, and probably the reason why she had to sell Willow because Willow used to be hers. And so there was a fixation on the horse. There was also a fixation on her mother, and then there was the fixation on the show, right? That helped her to process possibly the death of her mother but not really because it was that first kind of um uh, uh foot in the door to later um uh suffering from her mental health issues and all of these things end up crescendoing and i saw the and again i'm taking a leap here because i don't know but seeing the horse, just the, the button of the horse at the very beginning for Molly Shannon's character, I feel like she was the one figure in the movie that really genuinely cared about the welfare of Sarah. And seeing the horse leaving and never being able to see it, 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 it I, I feel like it's more a symbolic scene where she um that's showing her that her friend is going to be in some serious trouble and then at the very end when she sees it again um that is a literal translation but she's the last one to maybe help her friend sarah but she only seen the tail end of the horse and unfortunately she could not you know um and i and i feel like for a lot of the movie as well um all the different characters in the movie from the social worker to the doctor to her uh, potential love interest they and and of course uh molly shannon's character they didn't know how to process or realize somebody's mental health suffering they just didn't know how but they did know and it was happening, so they couldn't right? help. They, 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 yes. But it was um, so Molly Shannon was. You need to see somebody. You need to see. And everyone was like, "Hey, are you okay?" Like they, like they almost all everyone around her anticipated that this that something was going to happen with her. Maybe because of that known that trauma that they all knew that we learned about. Sure. I was just gonna. Sorry. Go ahead. 
I was just going to say real quickly that when I was writing down the notes for, because this is my second time watching a film, writing down the notes, um, at the very beginning, there just seems to be an indication that everyone in her life was sorry for her. And also kind of like, kind of like she's a child that needs to be protected and taken care of, which makes me question whether or not they, whether or not these people in her life have actually seen her go through a a psychotic breakdown before, maybe not to the severe, to the severeness that it did at the ending, as we saw, um, if that's what it was, but that they have, they kind of know her history and her mental health, you know, how she is. So right. I, I just wonder that as well. Yeah. Early that. on, I did, I did pick up on before, before any mental illness came into the film, I did pick up on a strange sort of dynamic, particularly between her and her roommate and her and uh, her boss, Molly Shannon's character um, that, yeah, especially the, the way that Molly Shannon talks to her, you kind of realize later is very similar to the way that then Sarah talks to her friend who has, who has brain damage in like a very kind of, not condescending, but, you know, the like a, a way that it's like she's trying to be easy and encouraging her and like, you know, um, being very po- like overly positive. It's a very similar kind of dynamic that she shares with her friend that that Molly Shannon shares with Sarah. Yeah, they all seem to be rooting for her in that sense, but also handled her with kid gloves. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, to me, to me, at the beginning of the movie, Sarah's character was such a like stereotypical like socially awkward person and then her roommate and her roommate's boyfriend were like so stereotypically like attractive young people that it I was like what is what is this movie about and then and now it even makes me think is like was this was this woman even real did she have a roommate and a friend cuz they like stereotypes don't exist these People aren't people aren't really like this, you know. But uh, I also wanted to mention, I think that the I think that her friend that she goes walking with is the girl who she has that vision of falling off the horse. And yeah. That's oh, why yeah, she absolutely. had to sell her horse. Okay. Yeah. 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 I, I have one more thing to, to talk about, if if we may, and it, and it's maybe on a lighter, lighter subject. So the the DNA and me when they were talking about that towards the beginning. They tied that in nicely to her paranoia, by the way. Sure. So I I do notice this trend and and I have no problem talking about some racial matters, you know, Um, not racist matters, obviously. Mm -hmm. But I have noticed in talking to some of my um, white friends that they are very much interested in their ancestry. And when I've heard it explained, um, a lot of white people tell me that because there is a richness and um, a sense of belonging that can be had from um, ethnic communities, you know, culture, that type of thing, some uh, white people feel like they don't really have it. And so these DNA tests almost end up like a surrogate to trace um, ancestry to more ethnic origins. And so. That's extremely insightful. I I hadn't considered that. But yeah, I think maybe in America particularly, or maybe in the colonial colonial places like America is probably more of a melting pot, but I imagine there's places like maybe South Africa or Australia that might have some of that too. But 
now that I'm thinking about it, those were settled primarily by the UK, right? I was interested in why that, because that was one of their first conversations at the very yeah. beginning of the movie about the DNA and then her emphasis, Molly Shannon's emphasis of the fact that she's like, can you believe it? I'm from West Africa. And she's like, wow, crazy, like West Africa. And I, I wrote down my notes. I'm like, what, what is the point of this convert? Or like, what are they trying to indicate something about white people? And, you know, this, like, again, what Jim was saying about like, wanting to know their history and where they're from but then there's that comment about her being from west africa and i'm just like something about this seems like it's about racial i don't know it's something about it seemed weird but i didn't know what how that fit into the rest of the movie but i just probably, thought it was an interesting thing that they had as a white person i think it would probably be something that would be maybe a either more of a surprise that is interesting that you didn't expect or um, maybe it plays into white guilt. Like maybe, hey, look, I'm not like a hundred percent white, so at least there's some kind of other ethnic blood in me from some other region or something, and that's more interesting. But that's just my hot take on it. I, I think it's how does purpose. it play in the movie? And that's yeah, that's what it, I'm curious about. They really did zone in on the hone in on that though. Like she even said again, like yeah, and don't forget, you know, the West African thing. Mm. Yeah, I think its purpose in the film is sort of like a uh, I mean, I don't know. If, I don't think West Africa is necessarily relevant. I'm not sure. I think they were just kind of going for the that realistic dialogue because, you know, like Jim said, a lot of white people are doing this and a lot of people have uh, a lot of white people have roots in Africa, have African DNA, and a lot of them fail to realize why that probably is. Um, but I'm, I'm not going to get into that. But um the I think this purpose in the film is that there's sort of this breadcrumb trail of like things that lead to her schizophrenia. Again, it's a, like relatively realistically written that, you know, she gets Sataka satellite from the homeless man who's walking around in the, the parking lot. He's talking about Sataka satellite. She picks it up. It, it enters her subconscious. It becomes part of her paranoia. And the DNA was where she gets the clone. The idea of the clone from comes from the DNA. And she then uses that later as evidence that the fact that they haven't sent back her DNA is because, uh, you know, they found out she was a clone and they can't process it. And that's why she hasn't gotten it back when really it's like it just got lost in the mail or it, like it takes a couple months and she doesn't realize that. But her, her in her paranoid brain, it's evidence. Um, so, yeah, I think it was just part of that sort of breadcrumb trail where you can kind of track where her psychosis comes from. Yes. And I didn't see it coming. And they did a great job of tying that. That was one of the other aspects I really enjoyed is how they tied in all these things that I thought it was just more of a lark, like you said, Devin, that just played into like, this is a realistic conversation. And it was one of the things, but they did a good job of, of weaving that all into the tapestry of her experience. I was just going to say, I, I, yeah, I, I, under, I, I know the connection between like the clone and the DNA kit and all that and her being like Molly Shannon had gifted her the DNA kit and stuff. So I remember like, I, I understand the connection and the importance of that maybe maybe it was just like the west africa that comment in itself which could have just been like what you said about like it was just accurately representing maybe the way that white people talk about and they get you know dna re results it was just an accurate portrayal of of those kind of conversations um, which is true but it also what's also interesting about this movie is that there is not really any people of color in this film there is it's very I mean, a lot, it's all white people. And so to have it at the very beginning with that comment and stuff, 
I'm, and I, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but just thinking about like, maybe it was them kind of in a sense, purposely saying like, this is going to be about mental health and it's going to be about women, but it's going to be about white women. It's not going to be about black women's mental health. And, and I think for them to kind of have that conversation of these two white people talking about their, the DNA kit and all that could have been an actual, you know, intentionally put there as a, this is about white women's mental health and we don't want to make it seem like it's about, you know, any other ethnicities and race, because then you go into that whole own trauma. That's its own trauma, uh, in, in related to, to mental health. Um, so they, they probably don't feel comfortable talking about. Right. So if I'm understanding you correctly, they're kind of drawing a line there and saying, Hey, we're cordoning off this to be about this because we don't feel appropriate crossing that boundary. Potentially. I mean, it's hard. It could have been completely unintentional, you know? Right, right. Maybe. Although the dialogue itself did read is pretty genuine, and that was one of the things I liked. Man, they really... This is like how people chit-chat, you know? Like, they did a good job with that. But uh, the thing I was going to bring up, uh, unreliable narrator. I don't want to spend too much time on this because we're going a little long, but is it one of the great themes of our time or is it just totally being overused right now and just a trend that everyone's jumping on? It, do you guys see it as a bandwagon? Because I keep seeing it popping up, you know, in this, the Joker and the Lighthouse and some other ones. Yeah, I, I think it's, I mean, like I described it earlier as a trope. I do think it's a trope. It's been kind of repeating. Um, I think that more often it is not a tool used by the filmmakers as much as it is a tool used by the conspiracy theorists afterwards you know the people who are dissecting the film and trying to find a deeper meaning like even in the joker there's an argument to be made that there is no unreliable narrator in that but people some you know still interpret that there is there's no yeah the ambiguity is part the of film. it though yeah. right exactly is yeah it, is it a cop-out or it does it add to the film for you I think it depends how it's used. I think in this film, it was kind of a cop out. I okay. think that it was like, we can just put any kind of weird shit in here and it could just be uh, unreliable narrative. I think in the lighthouse, it was used very well and, and definitely. Yes. Served the I think plot. if they ma what about the Joker? Just real quick. Hot take on the Joker. Did it work for that one? Or um, I, I think it, I, I think it's, it's probably, I, I did not read it as being in the Joker. I think that that was okay. purely like speculation. Yeah. I, I know the final scene where he's in the mental hospital is kind of unbelievable if, if it's not unreliable, but uh, I, I think most of what happens in that film is meant to be realistic. Even the stuff with the, his relationship with the girl. Next yeah, oh, well, yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Yeah. I forgot about that. It Sorry. was more of like yeah. a sixth sense reveal in that one. Like you didn't know yeah. it was unreliable until. I think and then that was start done fine. And I think so too. I think in this one, yeah. they should have made a... I think it would have served the film better if they made a solid choice uh, one way or the other. And for me, it would be to have a less ambiguous ending where she really did... Uh, they established at least more... Maybe there was some room of, for doubt, maybe, but if, if they just leaned a little bit more towards that she was definitely mentally ill and and uh, have someone outside seeing something that might have cued in to that she was just, you know, that they weren't able to help her from going over the edge. I, well, it's the, the, what, I, what it pops into my head was the one scene where she's already in the, in, uh, she's already hospitalized and she has a roommate. That roommate mentioned something about seeing a ladder. And then she goes, how do you know about the ladder? 
how do you know about that? And she's like, because I've seen it too. And she's like, I'm not crazy. This is real. And you're, you're not crazy. And like, I believe you. And so if there's any point in the movie where it seems like at least her being validated by another character and what she's experiencing, that was the only scene in that movie um, where we have someone else being like, I'm experiencing something similar. And, and again, she could have, can go back to the argument, but maybe she, that roommate wasn't real. And she, that was a figment of her imagination, but had that person been real, would that have then validated what she was experiencing up to yeah. the very end? And they even went so far as with the, I don't, I don't think he was, a, was he a caseworker or something said, I don't know the roommate assignment. So he left that door open to where, and I read it as, okay, well, probably that was part of her delusion. Um, yeah. Yeah. I read it as part of her a delusion too, because she had been searching so hard, you know, with her love interest somebody that kind of confirms her belief you know um you know it's almost you know it's like she's had obviously she had an awareness that she was suffering you you know um and the things that were coming out of her mouth as she was relating her tale she was like yeah i know it sounds crazy but this is what i'm experiencing and she didn't have anybody to really like you know i understand what you're i truly i understand what you're going through and so that being a delusion was another um, construct of somebody that, hey, I do understand what you're going through, which she made up, you know, so. But it's also interesting that earlier in the movie, she saw the other guy who was part of that same, I don't know, dream, whatever you want to call it, because uh, it was the young woman that she was room, roommates with that she saw, and then the man that she basically stalked and or went to his business and spoke to. Um, so it was that man also a figment of her imagination. I don't think so. But what I read it as yeah. was that he has a business in that vicinity and she may have just seen him before, you know, and also I, I mean, we're all probably on the side of reading it is that it wasn't true what she was experiencing. However, just to question her further, uh, what is the, all these aliens abducting like the people in the same town? Because they were all like within the same area, right? So it seems right. like she was still pulling bits and pieces, you know, and making a bigger deal out of it than, than need me. Sure. So my takeaway as far as that, so um, there's some relatively recent research about like very tra- traumatic incidents or trauma um, you can look at like um, major catastrophes, war, you know, and and obviously events in, in someone's personal life as well, which I, I think there was some establishment that there was trauma in her life. And trauma often becomes a very polarizing incident and it pulls past trauma towards it and it informs all the other events that happen in one's life, right? So the, the trauma is like a magnet, I guess, would be the best analogy and pulls everything towards it in um, how someone sees and shapes the world. And again, this is just a very simplified layman's ex- explanation. I don't understand all of it. But all of these different pieces 
um, seeing the the man that was going through his own suffering, talking and, and talking about you know um, aliens and all that kind of stuff. Uh, that the man with the you know that owned the plumbing store, she probably seen him in the past, and then just everything like as she was crescendoing, and you could see more and more of the delusions that were happening. All these different things that you had seen in little bits and pieces through the movie or were newly introduced, were just pulling together and coalescing sort of. Okay. Well, I mean, you probably have the most knowledge in this topic. I imagine since you study it. So I'll go with that, that, um, and that does make sense. So if that's the case, then at least they were doing that part of it. Uh, I don't know if realistically is the right word for it or not, but at least like, by the book from what you're saying that 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 that's how trauma might work at least in most cases nothing nothing that she just from a skeptic's point of view nothing that she constructed if we're assuming she constructed it um was something that couldn't have been pulled from her everyday world or at least that she might have seen before it's not a guy from another end of the planet that she'd never seen that pops up on a newscast or something like that. And she's like, hey, that's the guy from my dream. It happens to be a guy that might even share the same parking lot with the craft store and such and so <laughs> forth. So anyway, uh, any final comments before we move on? I have some clips from the movie I'll play. Any, any final thoughts? Uh, I will say there was one scene where I was like, ooh, that was bad acting. The guy that ended up owning the horse when she shows up uh, at night or whatever and he gets mad, that was some pretty bad, angry acting. He was probably not a real actor, though. He was probably a guy that ran a horse ranch that they let be in the movie. But boy, that was bad when he was yelling at her to leave. I was like, what What, was, what am I supposed to get out of this? Again, that's like the unreliable narrator thing comes in because it's part of her hallucination. So like they can explain away anything bad in the movie or anything weird by just being like, oh, well, it's just how she was interpreting it. Yeah, I think it. Uh, yeah, that's one of the reasons it kind of came off as a cheap trick, but I'll, I think they were definitely glossing over some pretty bad acting on that scene, but uh, uh, no offense to the guy. He probably is not an actor by trade. He seemed like a legit horse guy to me. So, Hey, if he was an actor, he fooled me there. Cause he did seem legit. <laughs> Pepe horse, is smiling. Horse boy. Yeah. Right. <laughs> he is, he was a real horse. Be the sequel. It'll be about him. Oh boy. Avoid that one then. <laughs> <laughs> So I do have some clips from the movie. Um, okay, here's something interesting. Did anyone else catch the Columbo references? Columbo kept coming up. It came up twice at least. Paul Reiser, who uh, I was delighted to see in this. I love Paul Reiser. Um, he mentions Columbo in the scene where they're looking for her car. I'll play that. I saw that on uh, Columbo once. Yeah. He's, uh, the guy's like, you know, I don't think the car was... Uh, Stolen because this and that, you know, as yeah, I mentioned, yeah, yeah. and then later she's taking the, it's Darren, the boyfriend. And she says, just one more thing. It's just one more thing. It's like, Hey, somebody likes Columbo, right? <laughs> so I thought that was kind of interesting, but here's some, uh, here's some, here's a line that I thought uh, was pretty good. Uh, this is like more of like a little monologue clip. Uh, she's talking to the caseworker and kind of confessing to him. I'm like being taken, like being abducted by aliens. And like, I think that they're cloning me. And I've seen 
like, like people always say that I look just like my grandma. And like, I've seen photos of her. We look exactly alike. Like I look like her clone. And, and I think, I think that I am like, I think I'm a clone of her. Did you guys hear that? Okay. Okay. Good. I'm hoping that's, that's yep. still working. New this week. <laughs> you can, you guys can actually hear the sound clips. Um, yeah. So I thought that was kind of a, a nice clip. Um, but anyway, we have uh, to go and have a word from our sponsor before we move on, and uh, hopefully this will lighten it up a little bit. Hey, friends, uh, if you need to hear the future, don't settle for second best. There is only one Sadako satellite. Side effects include lost time, anxiety, hallucinations, rejection by new romantic interests and roommates, being overly critical of student equestrians, and rewatching supernatural crime show Purgatory. Sadako satellite, because the future is now. <laughs> that was <Excellent>. so, <laughs> good well uh yeah we may have some more of those commercials uh for other movies and stuff so hopefully that was a little uh lighten things up a bit before we do our submit our final grades so let's uh let's talk where we're at grade wise we'll start with you jim scott what do you think where would you uh where would you put this one I would I would place it as a solid B. Um, I didn't enjoy it in the sense of wow, I had a really good time here. Um, but it brought up so many in interesting, you know, aspects to me. Um, and like Devin, you know, having friends and you know love interests along the way that suffer from um, mental health issues, it it opened up this conversation more which we need so yeah i'm gonna be uh i'm not gonna say i'm gonna be nice but i'm gonna give it a b plus because my personal experience of it was that there's man so much in the terms of writing and filmmaking for me to chew on that i just really enjoyed that aspect of it and especially like how they bookended it like little tricks like that and and the dialogue and like it, putting in like all the little aspects for us to kind of go back and puzzle over, you know, how do you read it this way and that. There's so much fascinating stuff. Just based on that, I'm going to give it a B plus. And Kat, you submitted this one. Where did you land on the grade? Um, I think I'm also going to give it a B as well. I, like I said before, whether or not it's a movie that you like or don't like, it's definitely a movie that you're going to think about and kind of think about after seeing it, weeks after seeing it. Um, and I just have a, a love for films or anything media related that makes you uncomfortable. I don't know why, but something about that, I think makes us question certain things in a, in a deeper level that I think is really important. Um, so again, kind of based off what Jim said, um, the fact that it's opening up a conversation about mental health, I think that is really important. So definitely the script writing, the cinematography, the um, the women lead act uh, cast members in here, for sure, also made it a great movie in that sense. Yeah, we all we didn't get too deep into those aspects of the film because we did end up having a very good conversation about mental health and how it played into the film and how it was portrayed. So I think just on that merit alone, it's worth a watch. But Devin, what did you think? Um, yeah, I, I agree with people when saying that the acting was uh, incredible. The writing was very good. As I've said multiple times, the the set design and effects were great. Um, I think just the fact that it 
I, I personally think it does more damage than good in the conversation uh, around mental illness. So I think just for that alone, it's going to drag it down to a D for me personally. Especially if you don't have a group of uh, distinguished co-hosts to really go back and over it and reflect on. If you're left to your own devices or maybe yeah. don't know much about mental illness, I could see where it could have a negative impact. Yeah, we mined a very good conversation out of this film, but I think that, yeah, on the, right. the superficial viewer would not uh, would not get a good message from this. No, without you good people, I don't think I would have picked up a lot. I think I got a lot out of our conversation here. But James Pepe, you have the last word and the final grade. Yeah, this one's a hard one because it it was it was definitely affecting. It definitely elicited reactions from me and emotions, but I'm not convinced those were that the things that it elicited from me and the emotions were the ones that it was intending to or wanted to. Um, but there is definitely like some merit to this film. Um, so I'm going to say. I'm going to say C minus, I think, because I'm not brave enough for a D. That was a brave thing you did, <laughs> Devin. <laughs> well, I think it's legit from Devin's point of view, having experienced something similar, at least as uh, someone who's friends or in a relationship with someone. I could see where that would be more personally affecting in that sense, where it would be frustrating for you. So I, I respect that. Um, and like I said, I have to go with it. If I was basing it more on the conversation, I'd have probably given it a lower grade, but I'm going to go with more how I ended up after viewing it. And I was more stuck and entrenched in the filmmaking parts that I really thought were clever as, as a writer and filmmaker, what they did. So um, after that, how, do, how about we tally up the grades and, uh, and see where this film landed as far as its GPA? Uh, yeah, the final GPA, because of my harsh grading, is a 2.4, putting it at a C plus. I think that's fair. I think it's a controversial film, and I think that a lot of people love it or hate it. It's, it gives you something to think about. Um, although I think it's legit to say that I, I wish, and I think this we could probably all are on board with this, I wish that they had made a choice of, as a filmmaker, a more satisfying choice for what they were going to go with rather than being so ambiguous with it. Yeah, if they had yeah. just drawn yeah. that hard line, like I said. Yeah, okay. I, think, I think you're right. And then again, with your personal experience and, and from what uh, Jim and even Kat was saying, that maybe they could have done a, a more effective job of trying to be more realistic with what that might experience instead of relying more on film techniques to kind of portray what it was. So, you know, more realistic moments would have served the cause of learning about mental illness more. Am I stating that right? Yeah. 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 Okay, good. All right, cool. Well, I think that about wraps things up. Oh no, we need to choose next week's film. So uh, we're going to do a dice roll, except we're not going to do a dice roll because it's down to two movies and the dice roller bot is broken in Discord still. They need to get on fixing that. So Kat, it's your turn. And now I understand that we're going to be flipping a coin. She's holding a coin up. All right. Um, yeah. uh, so what's, one, what's number guys. one? Yeah. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Isn't that a, just a, a coin a anyway? <laughs> yeah. Okay, it is. You're right. So what's the one and what's the two? Let's decide that while I look up the sheet here. 
but it's a, a yeah, I don't know. Heads I'm, one, I'm buying one time here. Yeah, you guys two. figure that out. I'll I'll look it Got up. Got it. Okay. okay, heads will be one. Else would be two. It seems pretty. Easy. Well, that was way too fast. That didn't give me any time. Let's make a pros. Yeah, yeah. Let's make a pros cons list for him. <laughs> Please give me one second. I mean, I mean, heads the is eagle, the better option, so it should be two. Well, the eagle, the body of the eagle looks like a one naturally, whereas the head has the sort of curve of a two. Um, I don't know. And maybe, I'm ready. Maybe, okay. Yeah, but these—I mean, these designs Thank were God. all created by the Illuminati. So, like, so therefore, oh, we got a new rabbit hole. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. Right, heads one, tails two. Let's go. Heads one, tails two. Heads. A, a noble flip. Heads, which was one. So that's three ones in a row. I'm starting to think this is fixed. Wow. It is the, the Illuminati. Fix is in. So we are watching a movie called Stranger Than Fiction, which is what came out in 2006 and is currently streaming on Netflix. So Stranger Than Fiction. Perfect. Do that up, friends. And we'll be discussing that on our next show. So uh, cool. I think Sounds that's... Good just about it we can wrap things up oh who could that Who's be that? someone's at the door yeah Who's let's find out <laughs> just one more thing oh lieutenant columbo says we have time for just one more thing this is our round table where each co-host shares a twitter length post of something they want to mention from outside of the show jim scott what do you got for us this week and just one more thing so um, this week I have two things, if I could. I'll make them as short as possible. Um, the first is the book Later by Stephen King. I'm an avid Stephen King fan, have been since elementary school. Um, and this one is Later is a throwback to um, his writing style when he was much younger. And um, it hits it out of the park. I'm two thirds uh, the way through the book, but uh, just in general, because you know the very beginning states it. It's what if um, a, a kid like from the movie Sixth Sense can see dead people? They can see them all the time. How how does that inform the story? And it's written in Stephen King style. So that. Is the first. Um, just one more thing. The second thing is YouTube. Um, when I actually have spare time in between work, school, and all of these other hobbies, great cr creative pursuits with you guys, um, I've been watching lately a lot of like coming out videos, you know, with LGBTQ um, people. Um, most of these, um, uh, people are from the South, so I don't have no definitive type. Um, but it's been bringing up a lot of emotions, things that I haven't thought about, um, in a really long time, as far as my own coming out experience and, you know, relations and relating to other people. And one thing that I've realized is, um, yeah, things have gotten better as far as being able to see yourself represented in others, right, with social media and, and things of this start. But it's still just as hard and just as challenging. So that's what I, I imagine in the South, particularly would be, I imagine probably would be tougher, but that could happen anywhere. Sure. And I don't think it would probably be an easy thing for anyone to first figure out 
you know, where you stand on that spectrum or whatever you want to call it. And then secondly, mm -hmm. to come out as it were publicly to friends, family, and whomever you felt comfortable with doing that. Absolutely. So well said. And uh, thank you for that. And um, was there any specific channel or something if people want to go check this out for themselves? Or is it just something you type uh, coming out stories into YouTube? Or um, Well, I started watching one and the algorithm gods showed me a bunch of right. others. Um, and in addition to uh, Joel Creasy, I want to say, who is a comedian from like the Australia area. So it, it, it the algorithm God showed me an Australian com LGBTQ comic and coming out stories. Um, but I would say out of the multitude that I've been watching, I would say Taylor Robbins, I believe his name is only because he's very candid. He's very articulate. And he also talks about dealing with mental health issues as well. So it's kind of like, a you know, um, two different aspects. So. Cool. Glad to know where to look then. Um, and for me, I'm going to mention a comic, which I should have grabbed and I don't want to run and get it now, but, um, okay. So there's a video game that came out in 2014. I know that Devin knows this. Maybe some of you guys know it too. It was called life is strange. And it was a great game that they've had a couple of sequel games too, but I'm more referring to the original game. I've played that through and it doesn't really have a great satisfying ending. And actually the ending, you can go one of two ways. However, they continued the story in comic books um, in a four-book uh, series, a graphic novel series, and the fourth one just came out, and I picked it up, and I am devouring it currently. And it's they've really done a wonderful job of making legitimate continuation of that story that was so dear to me um, in, in the video game version. So I highly recommend it, especially if you liked the games and played them, to check out Life is Strange comic books. There's four of them, and you can probably find them anywhere comic books are sold, including online. And Kat, what do you got for us this week? Real quick, I got my vaccination today. So um, if I'm eligible, then most likely you are too. So please go get your vaccination. Um, you can look up myturn.gov to see when you can schedule an appointment for it. Uh, but my just one more thing is another podcast. It's called Mysterious Universe. So speaking of Illuminati and alien abductions and cloning for this segment, um, if you're into that kind of those kind of stories and looking into the supernatural and some serious spooky stuff, um, listen to this podcast. It's done um, definitely lightheartedly by these New Zealanders. So uh, it's just an enjoyable podcast to listen to. What was it called? One more time. Called Mysterious Universe. I like the name too. That's an awesome, awesome podcast. I'm so glad you mentioned it, Kat. Well, great. So you then know we got it. two votes. Mm -hmm. Cool, cool. I'll check it out too. And as someone who's writing in the horror genre about supernatural things and who's written about UFOs, um, not so much as a believer, but someone who wants to play in a world where those things might be true and what, what it means. Uh, and what you would have to have as far as evidence that would be compelling. Uh, I love checking all that stuff out and seeing where people are at and what that culture is at. So I'll definitely be be uh, dipping my toes in, uh, at least, and probably going through the whole thing. I love podcasts. That's, that's why we want to be a part of this ourselves. We all seem to love podcasts. Devin, 
Is it a podcast this week? <laughs> uh, actually, I have two more. I, I also have two more things. Jim stole my thunder. Okay. I thought I was going to be the only Ow. one. I, uh, but I will be brief. Um, the first Okay, is, hang on, hang on. Okay. Let me give you a cue in then. Just one more thing. It's just one more thing. Okay, <laughs> there you go. Two. Yeah, perfect. Um, the first is a video game. Uh, you probably never heard of it. It's called Resident Evil. Uh, and uh, mm, it's the seventh one, uh, Biohazard. I just finished... I, I know, I'm joking. Of course you heard of it. Uh, I just finished the seventh uh, game in the franchise. It's the newest. There's about to be an eighth one coming out called uh, Resident Evil Village. Um, and I just cannot... I, I cannot overstate how incredible of a game it was. I am not a horror game fan by any means. I I don't think I've ever played a horror game that was not a Resident Evil game. and uh, But it was so good. The scares were not cheesy and not jump, jump scary. They were not cheap in, in any way. Um, each chapter of the game kind of deals with like a phobia and kind of goes deep into like a phobia and really does a good job of like kind of creeping you out without just, you know, giving you a heart attack every two seconds. Um, but yeah, it was it was an excellent game. Highly recommend it, especially with the eighth one coming out. And it's it's totally uh, palatable for non horror fans and not you know, people who don't like jump scares. Um, my second is a podcast, actually. This was uh, Maddie Myers. One more thing on the last episode of Triple Click. So I'm stealing her one more thing. Uh, it's called The Content Minds, um, and it is a very, very, very good podcast um, with these two guys who are basically it's very hard to describe. The closest I can come is to say it is a news show about the Internet. It's like things happening on the Internet, but spoken about in a very like analytic and informative way. And it's it's very compelling. It is so interesting to listen to because it's like to hear people talk about the Internet as a serious topic and not like just talking about memes or like kind of brushing it off, like really go into these like weird discourses happening. Like they had a, a recent episode about the slate star codex, which I had only heard of in passing. Like it was like a word I knew, but did not know it's like roots and uh, like what it even was. Um, probably most people listening to this have no idea what that word means, but uh, definitely look into it. Um, they did an episode about Bitcoin that actually made me give a shit about Bitcoin. It's like the first time that's ever been achieved. Um, but yeah. I made good money off of Bitcoin, so oh, yeah, <laughs> I can go, go off on that one. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's a very interesting show. The content mines. Um, it, it's if you are if you are interested in the internet, which like everyone is to some extent. I I absolutely recommend you check the show out. So it sounds like a polar opposite of that show, the right this minute. That's more about like tropey and uh, meme clips and stuff. So this is more like a serious take. No, this is this is very serious. Yeah, this is like like yeah. for instance, they didn't Good. do this it's on needed. an episode, but something I could see, something I could see happening on an episode is like you know the the um, uh, uh, cinnamon toast crunch guy recently with the shrimp tails that was like a big thing on the internet for like a day. That some yes. some guy found some shrimp tails in his. God, I'd yeah, already so like, forgotten. As, yeah, as an internet consumer, you see that and you're like, whoa, that's weird. And you move on with your life. They dive into that. They will find the guy. They will research who he is, prove that it's like fake, which it was. It was faked. They're the types of people who go and prove that stuff, that that stuff is like totally illegitimate because they, 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 they've been on the internet for so long. They delve into these people. They can sort of read them in a way that that is not uh, that sounds surface level. Yeah, it's so cool. One more time. What's the name so people can go download it right now? The, the Content Minds. The content minds. Go get it. I'm going to get it. I'll see you there. James Pepe, you get the final word again. Just because I read from left to right. And that's how we end up stacking like up. Like a big weirdo. Who reads from yeah, left to right? I know, right? Fucking American scum. I know, right? It's, so, it's such a Western thing. My goodness. Uh, well, since we mentioned... Well, 
Since we mentioned unreliable narrators, I will make two recommendations, related recommendations. First will be, uh, if you want to read the original unreliable narrator, you should go read The Odyssey, because Odysseus is a big fat liar. Oh my god, get in I... trouble with his wife. <laughs> I just, I didn't read it, but they, um, I'll get just, I get just one more thing too, since everyone else got two. I was just watched on Amazon Prime. They have a Greek myth that covered that. So I thought I knew a lot about that myth. Man, it's it's a good one. So yeah. I, I'm on board with you there. So what? So you're saying just read the original Odyssey as yeah, read read as translated Odyssey. Yep, as translated yeah. in English. If you can read ancient Greek, right. and then read it in the ancient Greek. I guess good for you um, if you can read yeah. ancient Greek. Oh yes, good for you. It's very hard. But um, what I my original one more thing was since we watched. The Lighthouse, if you want to know more about the myths about um, Proteus and Prometheus, you want to pick up Hesiod, Hesiod's uh, Theogony and his works and days. And Hesiod is one of the sort of major um, originators of all of the sort of like famous ancient Greek myths you would know, like Pandora, um, Proteus, all those kinds of guys, Prometheus, all those types of myths. And he also has this really weird flex, and I think it's works and days. He's really obsessed with his readers believing that he's like a real, like, salt of the earth kind of guy. He doesn't want you to think he's like sitting up in this ivory tower, like telling you these myths about gods. And the way he decides to prove this is by listing all 100 pieces that it takes to build a wagon. Like this was his proof of like being like, I'm just a regular Joe. I know all hundred pieces of how to build a wagon. He's a gearhead. <laughs> That's relatable in any era. Yeah, right. Like the like, oh, those philosophers, they don't know how to build right? wagons, those schmucks. They don't know shit about shit. So anyway, yeah, pick up uh Hesiod. It's it's little. It's little. It's just it's oh just yeah, a it's a thin book. one. Okay. Yeah. You can do yeah. it. You can do it. I believe in you. Okay, Hesiod, thank you. And uh, great. Um, so let's go around and say goodbye. It is time again to depart. So Jim Scott. Yeah, so I'm Jim Scott. You can find me on social media forthcoming. And uh, farewell, my friends. Take care. Cat. I'm Kathy Ramirez. It's been real. Catch me on Instagram at Kat Ramirez with two Z's. See y'all next time. With two Z's, everyone. Go check her out. She's a great person to have a conversation with. And uh, Devin. Uh, game over, man. Game over. You can find me on Twitter, Devin Schwartz1. And Pepe, I'm uh, James Pepe, I'm so sorry to make you follow that up again. I know, jeez. <laughs> I'll get it right next time. It's so brutal every time. Okay, yeah, I'm uh, James Pepe. And uh, I, I can't think, game over is just in my brain. I can't think of anything <laughs> else. And uh, this has been, I'll look at yours if you look at mine. And now that you've looked at ours, we hope to look at yours soon. If you enjoy the show, be sure to like, comment, subscribe, ring the bell, give us a five-star review, dot your I's, cross your T's, sign here, here, and here, initial here, and don't forget to tell your friends. Remember to watch Stranger Than Fiction 2006, currently streaming on Netflix for next week's show. Keep on looking.
Red Hand Media.